So if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter two, I'm gonna take a look at um, a little section of Daniel two and hopefully we'll you know, posture ourselves to, uh, to get into uh, the, 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 the meat of what Daniel's gonna tell us in Daniel two on Wednesday night. But there's some things I wanna show you uh, about um, a various uh, guy in the story here that happens to be an insomniac. Have you ever struggled going to sleep? It's something I don't know much about because I could sleep anywhere, anytime. I could lay down right here, right now and go to sleep and you guys would be sitting there watching and there I'd be. Like I, I could sleep with the best of them. I, I, I'm good at that, it's a gift that I have. But I know people that struggle with, uh, with sleep and sometimes it can be brutal. And there have been a few times in my life where I couldn't go to sleep. It's one of those things that I, I think some people wrestle with all the time. But for me, there was, there was times where I was super tired. I knew the next day was gonna be brutal and busy. And I knew that my body needed sleep, but I also couldn't shut my brain down. And your brain just keeps buzzing, 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 and you thinking, 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 and you just can't go to sleep and it's frustrating. And then by the time the next day rolls around, you're, you're tired and, and the world looks horrible and pretty soon you're depressed and anxious. And uh, it can be very compounding as far as a problem, the sleeplessness. And I know some people deal with that all the time. Well, we have um, some lessons I wanna learn. Feedback from an insomniac right here in Daniel chapter two. It just so happens our insomniac is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he's got a problem. Uh, and so we're gonna take a look at that. It's Daniel chapter two. We'll start right here in verse one of this chapter. It says, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king and the king said to them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. So here we have it. Um, the king is troubled. If you notice here in both verse one, but also verse two, we see this word troubled. Uh, and and what, is that, what is that about? You know, the king's troubled. You know, what, what kind of a trouble could a king have? A king who's got everything. He's got money more than any, he might be the richest man in the world at this time. He's got power. He's conquered pretty much everyone around them. Um, you know, he's got a harem. In all worldly, you know, kind of things, he's got everything going on. But he finds himself, and that word troubled, some of your translations there, you know, like if you have a, a New King James or a New American Standard, I think what's the word, um, anxious? He's anxious. And that's really a good description. I think that some of the newer translations say he's agitated, he's troubled, he's agitated. But the, the key operative thing here is he's got an anxiety that's linked to his sleeplessness and the dreams that he can't even remember he had. Have you ever woken up from a dream and you're troubled? but you don't even really remember what the dream was about? Well, that's his situation. But this dream somehow felt like it was more than just a dream. Now, here's what you gotta do with this. This is tricky because um, as it turns out, uh, we have to ask the question, does God use dreams? Well, if you're a Bible reader, you have to admit God uses dreams. But you also have to be careful with that one. Are all dreams you know, meant to be something important? 
Or some, some of the dreams, they just meant, you know, it's just the pizza that you had the night before. Uh, it kind of caused a little trouble for your sleep. Uh, the question is, um, which one is it? Well, you have to sort of weigh it out. If you have a dream and you feel troubled by it and it's kind of deep-seated in your soul, that's where you have to start asking, Lord, is this something that you wanna do in my life? Or are you trying to get my attention? And you do have to ask the Lord that. And as it turns out, and this is something we, who I believe we're living in the last days, I really do. Um, the Bible talks about in the last days, this idea of the young men dreaming dreams and old men seeing visions, um, that's gonna ramp up the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. So it's something we should at least be aware of. Now, there's some rules about dreams. If you have a dream and you're supposed to do something kooky that doesn't line up with the Bible, that was the pizza. The dreams that you have should always match what the Bible teaches and it should never go against that. Um, I've you know, heard of things where you know, cults have started because a person had a dream or a vision. Watch out, dreams and visions can be from Satan too. Uh, so you gotta kind of watch out for that. So you measure it against the word. You also get good godly counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he's troubled by this dream. And so he finds himself with this sleeplessness and, and he's in trouble. I think that's interesting because, you know, a dream or sleeplessness, I should say, you know, physically can be a lack of melatonin. It can be sleep apnea uh, or some kind of illness. Emotionally, maybe his, his mind is restless. Um, maybe it's that. But we know from the biblical account here that there's something spiritual going on, that God wants to get the king of the world at this time, really, uh, you know, get, get his attention. Um, and that's what's going on here. So, uh, so there's some lessons we can learn from this king and his, uh, his sleeplessness. And here's the first thing that I wanna observe. Number one, if you're jotting down notes. Number one, um, that God can get your attention where attention can be gotten. Um, what? What's, what's that all about? Well, listen, this is an important thing for you to know. There are times in your life where God wants to get your attention and sometimes he'll use whatever means he wants to get your attention, but where can it be gotten? Well, if you're the king and you've got everything dialed in, you know, you've got all the you know, answers to life's needs because you're the king of, of Babylon. Well, how does God get this guy's attention? Well, something that humanity can't help him with. This, as it turns out, this problem that he's got the Lord stirred up this dream and, and troubled this guy because the Lord said, I wanna get your attention. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing that, um, that I, I think happens. And some, one of the things God uses is uh, those things that, that God will use in our lives that are frustrations or problems or difficulties. Sometimes I wonder if it's just the Lord saying, hey, I, I wanna have your, your focus here for a second. Um, you know, by the way, um, I think it was um, Leonardo da Vinci who was painting, and um, and there was a there was a um, there was a thing going on where he was up on a scaffolding painting something somewhere, and he was carefully painting, but he was about to step backward off, and he was walking backwards as he was looking, and one of his buddies were there saying he yelled at him, but he wasn't listening. He just kept walking backwards, and so this is true. Sorry, the guy took a brush quickly and splashed paint on his painting. <laughs> and, and he freaked out so much, he jolted forward to try to stop him from doing it. And it actually saved his life because he was walking backwards and about to fall off the scaffolding, um, as the story goes. Um, sometimes I wonder if the Lord splashes a little stuff on your life and says, hey, uh, I'm trying to get your attention. Hello, 
Um, uh, this is the Lord doing that. God will get your attention where attention can be gotten. And for Nebuchadnezzar, it had to be, it had to be sleeplessness and anxiety. And he was frustrated and trying to figure out what in the world's going on. So that's the first observation we make here. Um, you know, feedback from an insomniac. God is trying to get his attention. What is it the Lord's using to get your attention? Is it the COVID-19, the lockdowns and the masks? Is it, is it the controversies around you? Is it your job? Is it your boss that's being mean to you? Or what is the thing that's troubling you that the Lord's saying, hey, I want you to tune in to me. I'm the answer to your problems. And so that's the deal. We know that God's gonna try to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Now, let me tell you the kind of the end of the story. Did you know that Nebuchadnezzar, I think we're gonna see him in heaven. This godless pagan king of Babylon is gonna end up in heaven. How's that possible? Well, when God wants to get your attention, he can do it. And he's gonna get the attention of this king. And we're gonna see in a few chapters where Nebi sort of comes around and believes in God. And it's kind of cool. Um, I wonder if some of you came to Christ with one of those kind of things where God got your attention through something that was kind of brutal and you realized your need. That's gonna be the truth with old Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So that's the first lesson. Well, let's read on and see what happens here. So in verse four, then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac. Now the word Syriac there um, in the King James, well, it's the same word and it means the same thing as the language of Aramaic. So they speak in Aramaic is the idea. Your newer translations put it Aramaic. Syriac's just another word that means the same thing. Um, so uh, you say, well, what does that have to do with thing? Well, if you were here on Wednesday night, we realized that um, some of the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but there's large chunks of the book of Daniel that were written in Aramaic. That was the lingua franca at the time. They spoke Aramaic. And so Daniel now from you know, chapter two, verse four, uh, the, halfway through the verse, suddenly we start with the language of Aramaic. And it goes through several chapters. And I'll tell you when we get back to Hebrew. But uh, we looked at that on Wednesday of why Daniel does that. And we kind of dug into that a little bit. But this is where that language shift happened. So then spake the Chaldeans, verse four to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Trying to butter them up because they know they're in big trouble. Uh, Tell thy servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered to the Chaldeans. Now, pause for a second. We've talked about the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the magicians, the astrologers. Well, the other ones, they were magicians, astrologers, and all these guys, soothsayers. But who were the Chaldeans? They were the most educated bunch of the group. They were the intellectuals of the day. Included with these Chaldeans would have been, would have been the equivalent of those ancient times of a physician, a doctor, and, um, and academics and what have you. So the, the, the brainiac of the bunch, they all come up and say, oh, king, tell the servants the dream and we'll tell you what the interpretation is. Well, then the king, verse five, answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Now, here's the thing that you and I don't have the appreciation for. When, when Nebuchadnezzar, who's an absolute monarch, by the way. That was their political system of the day. What's an absolute monarch? Well, that's the person who can say off with your head and they pretty much have to do it. Whatever the king says, it, it's a done deal. So here, Nebuchadnezzar, he's good for this threat. I hope you understand that. Chopping people up into pieces and making their houses piles of manure. That would have been just a normal day in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. We have other accounts. If you remember, we read in the book of Jeremiah where Nebuchadnezzar barbecued a bunch of people on a grill. 
Uh, we know that Nebuchadnezzar uh, would throw people into a fiery furnace. Um, these are the kinds of things Nebuchadnezzar liked to do. Punish people, kill them in a painful, torturous kind of way. So these guys are in big trouble because he's saying, I need you to give me the dream itself and the interpretation. Well, verse six, but if you show in the dream <clears throat> the interpretation of you will receive of me gifts, rewards of great honor, therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. <clears throat> so now Nebuchadnezzar sets his expectations to all of his people, these Chaldeans and soothsayers and magicians and what have you. But here's the problem, you and I already know, they're just humans. They're just dudes. And they might claim to be magicians, they might claim to be sorcerers and all this stuff, but as it turns out, they're just people. And now they're in trouble. It's almost like the king is calling them out saying, time to show a little magic and tell me what my dream was and, uh, and, and you better get it right or else I'm gonna chop you in pieces and make your house a pile of manure. And this brings us to the second observation that we need to remember. Number two on the list, and you should jot this down, um, people are only human. Like, Brett, I don't have to write that down. No, you do need to write that down. Please write it down. This is important because guess what? You and I, we make the same mistake Nebuchadnezzar's making here. He's in trouble, he needs help, and he's turning to the best people he knows, the smartest people in the, in the country, the Chaldeans, and the magicians, and the soothsayers, and all these people, and he calls all the best of the best and says, you guys better do this or else I'm gonna kill you all. And I, I've noticed that's a, a tendency within humanity. As much as we, we know people are only human, we really hope somehow that they are not. We want people to do stuff that's greater than, than what their real abilities are. I, I think this happens in law enforcement, by the way. One of the problems, I think, with this whole, you know, defund the police thing is we've put this thing on police. Um, in a lot of ways, it's just too hard for, for a human to actually do. Um, you know, like some of these shootings where people say, oh, the police officer shouldn't have shot that person. But have you ever been in a situation where things happen really fast and your life is on the line? And whether you do the right thing or the wrong thing, it means whether you die or live. And that's just your daily job. And I think there's not a real appreciation. I was telling last service about, I went down to this place in Sherwood uh, where you can, you know, they got this little um, practice thing where you can, you have these fake uh, guns and you get to go in as police officers, 300 degree uh, screens. And there's these scenarios where you don't know what's gonna happen. Some things are end peaceably, others end in shooting situation. And you have to kind of go and, and do it. And you, so Debbie and I did it. Debbie and I went in there as you know, police officers. Um, by the way, this is our 34th anniversary today, which is really cool. Debbie and I, thinking of Debbie. I, I, um, I knew you'd do that, so I, th I, I did it for that. So uh, no, <laughs> thank you. No, but Debbie and I were in there, you know, we get our little fake Glocks and we're there and we're gonna be police officers. And, but Debbie was chicken. She didn't wear the shocker. I wore the shocker. There's a thing that sort of tases you if you get shot. And I thought, I want this to feel realistic. You know, like I want to put, my, put this on the line. And so I strapped on, it didn't fit very well. So I had to kind of put it up, you know, in this real tender area right here. Um, <laughs> it's a true story. But, uh, but we went in there and we went through a bunch of scenarios. Well, as it turned out, I got shot twice that day. And I'm telling you, man, it was like that shock is, woo. Uh, they, don't, they don't do it anymore. I think they made it illegal or something. You can't get the shocker anymore. Um, uh, but it was really good because it showed, there, there was several scenarios where you realize, man, things happen fast. 
Uh, we, we did this drunk driver pullover, Debbie and I as police officers, and, and, um, and this, this lady was digging in her purse on the trunk and she was stumbling around drunk, and, but we didn't know there was somebody hiding in the back seat with a shotgun. And you're there kind of focusing on this woman who's, and she's digging in her purse and putting stuff out and she pulls a gun out and puts it on the, and like all kinds of crazy, you're like, wait a minute, oh, and you're watching. And then all of a sudden you see movement in the corner of your eye and this guy jumps out with a shotgun. And by the time you realize it's a threat, you're dead, or in my case, shocked. <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, wow, things happen fast. And, um, and you don't even see what they're holding. And like, it, what, what it made me do, it kind of made me think, all these people that go around complaining about how the police handle things, um, before you get the right to complain, you have to do that over there with a shocker uh, to appreciate what, what they do daily. And, you know, and what we've done is we've tried to put these police officers in a superhuman kind of category that they can do all this stuff. It's not as easy as people make it to be. People are only humans. And when they make a mistake, we're all shocked. That, for, pardon the pun, uh, I was shocked. Um, but, you know, we're shocked that they've failed or that they don't have the answer or that the, they're not perfect every single time. We, we do that to people all the time. You know, as a pastor, I feel that, you know. Uh, it's funny, you know, as the church over the years has grown and people's expectations of what Athey Creek is or what we can do. Um, you know, our church, we try very hard to care for this congregation and we got a great team of pastors and leaders and, and uh, you know, just great, great crew. And, and largely they do a really good job, but, but there's always those people that haven't done the math in their head. You know, they're like, I need to meet with Pastor Brett right now. Well, we have a wonderful group of pastors that would love to meet. Brett just doesn't care. He doesn't care. That's why he won't meet with me. Well, as it turns out, I meet with people all the time. Uh, I, I spend all my week meeting with people. And, um, and for things like funerals and memorials, we've had, we had you know, someone just die this weekend in the hospital. We've had a memorial yesterday that I did. Like we're busy with a church of over 7,000 people. Uh, got a pretty full schedule. Um, you know, and, and in fact, five services just for the weekend. If you, if you do the math of what it takes to be ready to do that and to do the five services in our worship team, it's, I'm not complaining. I love what I do. But there's always those people that come in, oh, I need to talk to Pastor Brett right now. Uh, and we say, well, guess what? There's some great pastors that would love to pray with you. They're the guys I go to when I need prayer. But see, the people that don't know, they think, well, Brett should be able to do that, uh, 7,000 people and meet them all. You know, like it, it just is humanly impossible. So I, I get that a little bit. Now there was a day that was really sweet when Athey Creek was 150 people. And I really could meet everybody's needs. I could meet with people and hang out. And if somebody died in the, uh, or was in the hospital, we'd be right there. And it was easy. Um, and it was, it was awesome. But you know, there's a lot of people that just kind of, um, well, Brett, and that's the problem with big churches. Uh, there's a kind of a thing on that right now. I just say this, um, there's great things with big churches and there's problems with big churches. That's just the truth. And same with little churches. There's great things with little churches and, 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 and bad things with little churches. But, we, you know, but no matter what, if you're a little church or a big church, people are human. People are only human. And it's funny how we superimpose like, things that sometimes I think God wants to do in your life where he wants you to trust in him. And suddenly the humans aren't able to measure up to your standards. That might just be a good sign God wants to do something. People are only human. <laughs> you know, we put our hope and our, our expectation unrealistically on people, pastors, parents. When you were a little kid, I think you had an unreal expectation of what your parents were able to do. And then there was a point in your life when you realized, wow, mom and dad are limited. They can't do what I thought they could do. Then you enter into the middle school phase, you think, mom and dad are lame. 
and I alone have all wisdom and knowledge. And then you grow up a little more and then you realize, oh, maybe mom and dad were amazing. Like, like you go through these phases in life, but, but we, we superimpose superhuman skills on people um, and, and what have you. Not just pastors, parents, but children. Sometimes I think we put too much on our children. Expectations, but they're, they're, people are only human. Employees, employers, I think we're hard on people. You know, it's interesting how most people, not all people, but most people that I work with in this life, I'm noticing as time goes by and as I get older, most people are just trying to do the best they can with what they have. Um, we're, we're this hostile, you know, culture of people who put all kinds of expectations on everybody else. We don't put those same expectations on ourselves. But oh, we're so quick to put them on, on everybody else. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's putting all the weight of his problem on the, the people and the people don't have the answers. As it turns out, none of these magicians, astrologers, soothsayers, or Chaldeans are gonna be able to solve the problem. Now, some of you might say, Brett, I know the story and there is one guy who's gonna solve the problem. Incorrect. Because even Daniel's gonna say, I don't have the answer for you but he knows where the answer is to be found. That's the difference, okay? So all that to say, be careful. You know, why does God do this, by the way? Sometimes stir things up and make you realize, well, people are only human. Maybe you go to your doctor. I think people think their doctors are somehow like little gods. You have some kind of sickness or problem and the doctors say, man, we just don't know what to do. And like, you're a doctor. You should come, you're supposed to fix everything. Well, as it turns out, medical professions, how thankful I am for, for our doctors and nurses, but sometimes even they don't have the answers. And I've seen people get all upset and call them quacks and things like that. There are some quacks out there, but most of them are probably just trying to do their best. Um, but what, what does that leave you with? It's the same thing Nebuchadnezzar's left with. Instead of putting too much on human people, that's when you have to turn to the ultimate resource, the Lord himself. I sometimes think the Lord allows us to go thing, through things that people around you cannot help you with just so that you, you start turning to and trusting in the Lord. So people are only human. Don't forget that one. Uh, we're hard on each other. We should stop that. Well, um, as it turns out, it goes on, verse seven, you know, after Nebuchadnezzar says, um, if you show me the interpretation and the dream, I'll, I'll, I'll reward you with wealth. But if you don't, I'm gonna chop you into pieces and make you into a pile of manure. So verse seven, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. In other words, you're just trying to buy time. You're just trying to stall just because you know that I don't know what the dream is. But verse nine, if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. Well, the Chaldeans, verse 10, answered before the king and said, there is not a man on the earth that can show you the king of this matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that has asked such a thing at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not, is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious. 
and commanded to destroy all the, men, the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Man. Now you say, well, how did Daniel suddenly get into the mix here? Well, as it turns out, Daniel, because he was blessed and because he was wise, as we read in chapter one, he was lumped in with these Chaldeans. He was part of that team from the Babylonian perspective. But it's funny to me that Daniel's not even in the know that this is even going on yet. Daniel doesn't even know this is happening. How is that so? I believe Daniel, he hasn't, he hasn't been hanging with the Chaldeans. Daniel's not buddying up with the magicians and those guys. He's off kind of doing his own thing. I bet Daniel's off praying somewhere if I, if I could guess what Daniel's doing. But he doesn't even know this is going on. But the decree has come where Nebuchadnezzar's had it. He, he senses all these guys are just a bunch of liars and they've been feeding them a bunch of lies about their skills, their talents, and, and their ability, abilities and what have you. And as it turns out, Everything that he had, all his resources came up empty. And, and that gives us point number uh, three on our list of, of observations from this insomniac uh, Nebi who's troubled. He realizes this, that wealth and power are not true means to peace and wisdom. Nobody had more resources than Nebuchadnezzar in the world at that time. But he had no way to solve his problem. His wealth, his power, they didn't do it for him. He had all these guys that were posers as they were the answer to all the questions of science and, and wisdom and astrology and, 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 the, and the, the medical people. All of those people he had at his disposal, but all that came up empty and it didn't bring for him peace and wisdom. You know, you and I live in the exact kind of day of Nebuchadnezzar. We live in a day that elevates celebrities as the all wise authority on any given topic musicians and actors, politicians give us the ultimate wisdom. But one of the things that's been shaken, I'm gonna say in the last couple of years, primarily, have you noticed? We don't know who to believe anymore. Like who really speaks truth anymore? Well, Brett, I just happen to believe the CDC. The CDC is that bastion of truth. Did you see what happened this week? Uh, we saw a little bit of their, their workings. Did you see when, you know, when Florida was out suddenly spiking in coronavirus? And, and, and by the way, that's very politically ex expedient for the one side of the argument that suddenly Florida and Texas are starting to spike again. Well, the Floridians pushed back and said, wait a minute. And they, they looked at the calculations and the CDC, our bad, we made a mistake. They were making like three days into one and, and multiplying exponentially the numbers to make it look like it was ramping up. Did you see this? This was big news like the last couple of days. And uh, the CD, oh, our mistake, and it happened in a couple of situations there that made Florida look really bad suddenly. Same with Texas. And so now you're kind of like, uh, some of you are like, I don't know, man. I, um, almost a year and a half ago, I mentioned that the CDC had a thing on their website that said masks uh, don't help us with the flu virus, so masks are a waste of time. And I mentioned that, and then like the next week they took that website off. They took that part off. Um, and then at the beginning of this, we were told, oh, masks, don't wear them, don't do that. And then we were, you're supposed to wear masks. And then, and then we hear that cloth masks are this. And all this stuff, what, what that's done is it made us realize, do we really know what in the world we're talking about on anything, anywhere? You know, um, 
It's interesting because the people that are supposed to be guardians of truth uh, have let us down in a lot of ways. And you know, whether you're to be vaccinated or not, there's a debate. Well, Brett, anybody with half a brain knows that you should get the vaccine. And I understand that sentiment makes sense. The only problem that I have, did you see the article and, and Drudge Report, which is not exactly a bastion of you know, conservative thinking or anything, they're actually very uh, pro-vax and everything, but they were noting in their news site yesterday that there's a, a major group of people that are resisting vaccination and it just so happens to be doctors. Did you guys see that? Check it out, I didn't make this up. This is on the news. Doctors and medical professionals. Now I know there's some medical professionals that are like, of course, vaccinate, vaccinate. But now, now let me just make a statement here because I get asked this a lot. Um, people say, Brett, what should we do on the vaccine? And some of you are freaking out even right now because you're like, it's not a vaccine. You're all upset. I, I know all that. I've read all this stuff. I, I, like, I, I get your problem. I totally do. I get it. Um, but as it turns out, I'm not a doctor. I'm not. I'm a pastor. I'm not a medical professional. Um, but I am a, I am a, a guy that um, likes to do stuff. Like, for example, I've been vaccinated and shot up with stuff. I have no idea what's in my body. I've, I've been to 27 different countries, and a lot of them were third world countries. And I, and I had to get shot. There was one time I went to Africa, I had to have six shots just to go to Africa. Uh, yellow fever, gamma globulin, you know, whatever, uh, uh, all these shots. And I don't know what that stuff is, but I, I was trusting the medical profession. Call me naive, call me stupid, doesn't matter. I wanted to go to Africa. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. So don't ask me that question. Here's who you should ask. The Lord Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all this other stuff will be added unto you. So if you're an anti-vaxxer, seek the Lord. If you're mad and you know of all these people that aren't getting vaccinated are a bunch of murderers, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord first and his kingdom, then all this other stuff will be added unto you. So I'd say seek first the Lord. Secondly, ask your doctor. One thing that I'm kind of shocked at is the clumsiness of the demands that of everybody cramming this, get a jab down your throat. But you know, there's some people, if they get the jab, it could kill them. Um, I was one of those people, I'll tell you why. Uh, when I got the coronavirus, I also was down in, in, in um, Arizona when it happened to me and, and there I was stuck in the lockdown. But I was also doing this thing where I was getting this uh, physical thing at the Mayo Clinic. And it was, it's a thing I do every couple of years uh, because I'm a pastor of a church and they wanna know if I'm healthy or not. Uh, so, so I do this every couple of years. Well, because I was down there, the Mayo Clinic said, hey, uh, Brett, you got the corona um, and you're the prime candidate for the Regeneron treatment. And I'm like, whatever that is. And they said, well, you know, uh, Ben Carson got it. I'm like, oh, Ben Carson's a brainiac doctor who created amazing surgeries, I'll get that. So I went down there, got the Regeneron thing, and I felt great like the next day. Like truly, it was like overnight, it was great. But here's the thing with Regeneron, which they gave to the president, they gave to Ben Carson, like it's, it's still not an FDA approved thing, which neither is the vaccination. But as it turns out, Regeneron is also not approved. But I got that, felt great. I'm like, man, everybody should get this, that's awesome. But they also said, Brett, this is already cool, but if you get the vaccination within 90 days for this, that could easily kill you, so don't do that. So I've been walking around all this time and be like, have you been vaccinated? And people are like, you need to get vaccinated. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. But I know that if I followed your advice, I would die. Like, like it's, it's just funny what people think they know. My point is this. We, we've got all these experts 
And all these people that are demanding that you know this or that on both sides of the argument. And, and, and I think the only thing you and I as Christians can really do is say, let's seek the Lord first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all this other stuff will be added to you. And the power and the wealth and the wisdom of this world and, and the medicine and the so-called science that we're so trusting in and all this stuff, it's a little tricky to sort through. And even if you're pro one way or the other, you gotta give it to the other side that there's enough question and enough concern that maybe we don't know what we're talking about. Uh, that, that's been proven in the last year and a half. We're, we're still trying to figure out stuff. So I think we should all be kind of careful when we start demanding of everybody what we should or shouldn't do. But, um, but wealth and power, and the United States, we have that, celebrities and people cramming it down our throats saying, this is what you have to do. That's not necessarily what's gonna bring you to peace and wisdom. BuzzFeed article just yesterday, by the way, speaking of fact checkers and truth, BuzzFeed, the co-founder of Snopes, wrote dozen of plagiarized articles for the fact checking site. Um, David Mickelson, the co-founder of fact checking website Snopes, has long presented himself as the arbiter of truth online and a bulwark in the fight against rumors and fake news. But uh, he's been lying to the site's tens of millions of readers. Um, a BuzzFeed News investigation found that between 2015 and 2019, Nicholson wrote and published dozens of article com, com, uh, articles containing material plagiarized from news outlets such as The Guardian and LA Times. This guy was you know, passing it off as his own work and the guy's kind of a liar. He's been proven to be that. Um, it's just kind of funny. The guy that's supposed to be the Mr. Truthful, uh, it's, just, it's the way humanity is. It's like everything we've got here. We have to be careful. So all that to say, the Lord is the one that we should be turning to. Um, be careful. So back to this issue, you know, uh, wealth and power are not a means to peace and wisdom. You know, we see that here in our text in Daniel 6 through 13. Um, we see Exactly that. In fact, let's, let's finish up reading this little section. Um, so it says in verse 14, then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Like the mission already is underway to start killing, hacking and whacking these, these uh, wise men. They're gonna chop them up and it's already happening. Daniel finds himself now in front of Arioch the very guy that's supposed to slice him up into pieces. And uh, I love Daniel's calm-headedness here. It says here, he answered and said to Arioch, verse 15, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. So Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, listen, give me some time. I'll tell you what your dream is and what the interpretation. I love his confidence here. Kind of tucked that away. He's confident. But notice he, he then, verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's, that's the, of course, the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And verse 18, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, verse 19, was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. You know, if you seek the Lord, you'll know what to do. Some of you are thinking, Brett, you gotta go with all this stuff we're hearing on the news and media, and you gotta go with the experts, you gotta go. I don't know about that. And, and, and could we be selling short just wisdom from God? 
I love how Daniel, he goes to the source. He goes and seeks the Lord and the Lord shows him. And uh, I love this. And, and Daniel uh, gets the interpretation and the dream itself given to him from the God of heaven. That's, that's what happens here. So that brings us to the next thing. How do you answer this and how do you deal with this? If I were Daniel, I'd be tempted to go, okay, everybody, chill. (laughs) I alone have the mysterious thing solved. I'm the problem solver. But that's not what Daniel does. And that brings us to number four on our list. Notice with me the potency of humility. I love how powerful Daniel's humility is. You might think those are oxymorons, potency, humility, but this, this humility that Daniel wields is, is so powerful. Check it out. Uh, let's, let's go to verse 26 real quick, jump ahead. It says, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And this is where I would say, I am, I learn. Kill those guys, keep me safe because I'm the guy that's got your dream. Um, you know, this is money. I'm your man. I need a promotion. I'd maybe even work out a deal. Hey, can I get a raise? Uh, like, 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 what does Daniel do? Well, his answer is, is great. Check it out. Daniel, verse 27, answered in the presence of the king and said, this secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men and the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. Look at verse 30. But as for me, that's Daniel, um, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall be made known in the interpretation of the king. Daniel makes it clear. He doesn't take any credit at all. But Daniel says, it's not me and for my sake that God revealed this to me. God's the revealer of secrets. I'm just the messenger. I love this humility and the power of humility. Why did the Lord use Daniel to do this? I believe because Daniel was the most humble guy to do this. Um, It's been said the fastest way to see the work of God stopped in your life is for you to start taking the credit for what he's done. As soon as you take credit for any good thing, God will say, okay, if you're getting the credit, if you're getting the glory. Man, that's such a key for any of us in ministry to start saying, hey, you know, look what I am doing. Man, as soon as we do that, we're a toast. We're gonna see that also lesson coming up in a week or two with Nebi, uh, who was filled with pride. Uh, horrible situation. It's amazing how powerful humility is, and it's powerful to, to point people back to the Lord where the ultimate source of power is. And that's what we're called to do. I love what 1 Peter chapter five reminds us there in the New Testament. It says, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And then it says, be clothed with humility. Ah, for God resists the proud. What does God do? He resists, if you're a prideful person, you know the problem with being a prideful person? You're the last one to see it. Have you ever tried to lovingly go to a person who's walking in pride and say, you know, man, you could tone that down a little bit and maybe walk with some humility. And they're like, what do you know? You're just a hater. Like, it's amazing how people will dismiss really good sound counsel, but it's their pride that has blinded them. But man, I don't want any part of this. What does God do to the proud? He resists them. Do you want God in a position of resisting you? So we're supposed to be clothed with humility for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. What a key, um, the potency of humility. And Daniel is demonstrating that beautifully. He's got the answer that God gave him. He points all the glory to God and he gives the answer in great humility. I love that. Great lesson uh, as we see the story. But there's just, I think, one more uh, important part of this that I wanna point out. And that is there's confidence that's contagious. Confidence is contagious. Well, which one is it, Brett? Is it to be humble or confident? Well, those things aren't mutually exclusive. I know they almost sound in opposition, but pride is not confidence. Daniel was a confident dude, and we can see his humility woven through this story, but we also see where his confidence lies. Um, In verse 16, we saw him say that I will show you the interpretation of the dream. He says that confidently. Look at verse 28. He says in verse 28, but there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. He says this confidently. Look at verse 45, the second half of that little verse. Uh, Check out how Daniel finishes. After Daniel tells the king the whole dream, the whole meaning of the dream, then he says this in Daniel uh, 2.45. It says, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. Don't you love his confidence? See, if I were Daniel and I would be, had been praying, oh Lord, show me the dream and the Lord shows me some kind of dream and a vision. I'm like, man, I hope that's the right one. So then when I went to, to Nebi, I'd say, okay, Nebi, I think I, have, I think I got your dream. So you saw this and you saw this and I'd watch his facial expressions to see if he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah or, or that's not what I, like, I'd be nervous. I'd be like, kind of feeling my way through it. A little nervous. Daniel doesn't do that. But after Daniel explains, he says, the dream is certain, the interpretation thereof is sure. It's a slam dunk. How was Daniel so confident? It's because his confidence was not in himself, his confidence was in the Lord. How the Christian church today in a very Babylonian type time that we live where there's people cramming things down your throat and expecting so much of everybody, how should we be living? We should have confidence in the things of the Lord. Daniel received a word from the Lord to to realize what the dream was about, just like you and I have received the word of the Lord right here in our hands. And we as Christians need to be confident, not arrogant, not prideful, but confident in God's word. I I, I worry that we've become very, um, very afraid in these modern times that we're living. I worry that we're afraid to speak the truth, to stand up for what is right. I'm not arguing for all political action and all that stuff. If the Lord calls you to that, great. But, but it is funny how it's starting to kind of mesh together a little bit, our faith with our careers. Some of you right now are being challenged. We have school teachers that are being told to taught, teach their kids in their classrooms things that are very, very opposed to what the Bible teaches. It, it flies in the face of the Bible. Did you see that one teacher in Virginia? Last week kind of went viral because this young teacher, she's only like five years into her career of teaching, teaching, I think it was a fifth grade or fourth grade, but she gets in front of the school board and she reminds them of what their, their narrative was. The school board said, we need to kind of get away from this you know, white, female, Christian, conservative teacher. That's what the school district was saying. And as a white, female Christian, she said, you know, I, I obviously am not really what you guys want, so I'm gonna resign. And she resigned in front of the school board, but she did it with confidence saying, I resign and I quit, because I quit teaching you know, 
uh, critical race theory. I, I quit teaching this transgender stuff that you're pushing on our little kids way, you know, just things that are just anti-truth. And she went on and listed, but you know, she thought that she was gonna quit and everybody's gonna hate her and that was the end. But her video went viral and now she's getting job offers all over the world uh, for executive positions of corporations and stuff. Like, like it's kind of cool in the sense that, yeah, isn't that great? Like, but, <laughs> but what I love about that story is her confidence is contagious. I think we're seeing more teachers starting to say, wait a minute, it, we do need to stand up and say, you know what, there's certain things we're not gonna do because of what the Bible says. That's what that girl did. And I hope that her confidence is contagious. What you're gonna see in this story is Daniel's confidence is also gonna be contagious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll see that soon. But all that to say, I hope that we as Christians aren't mousing in the corner saying, I hope I don't offend anybody. Even though we're just letting things that are totally false and them making us do things that are contrary to what we believe, I think we have to be very careful with that. Um, Not prideful, definitely humble, but confidence, that comes from the Lord. I love that. Well, all that to say, you might say, okay, Brett, that's great and everything. Okay, but what about the dream and the interpretation? Well, as it turns out, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar sees is one of the more profound dreams and prophecies in the Bible. And it's the one that drives the secularists and the people that hate the Bible, it drives them nuts. Because this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that Daniel writes down, it's, it's, it's something that makes, it shows the fingerprint of God on this book, that it's way different than any other book in the world. This dream that he sees is so powerful and prophetic and exact that, that, there's, that there's no way that this could have been just a coincidence. This is an amazing prophecy, and we'll look at that on Wednesday night. <laughs> Join us. You don't want to miss that one, seriously. Um, you say, okay, Brett, so we got to wait till Wednesday night to hear the actual dream and its interpretation. Yes, but, but I'd like you to think with me as we close, what are some of these things as we kind of set the stage for seeing what the dream was? Man, what can we learn from this king who was putting way too much on people to give him the answer when really the Lord has the answer? Are we like that? Are we putting too much on people, forgetting that people are just that people? Are we prideful and arrogant or are we humble? Are we confident in the Lord? Are we confident in man, the astrologers and the soothsayers and the Chaldeans and the scientists, the people that we think are all amazing, but they're falling short? Well, I think we're living in a culture that is very much matching Daniel chapter two. And we can learn from these things. Would you bow your heads, please, as we just kind of close this service off. Before we close, I'd like to just have an attitude of worship and, and uh, go to the table of the Lord in communion. Um, and if you would, just uh, maybe you can get that little packet out, that coronavirus-free uh, communion packet, and you can peel back that top layer and get to that matzo bread there. But um, let's just prepare our hearts to go to the table. Lord, we're so thankful for just the truth of your word. And Lord, people are flawed. And as it turns out, Lord, we are flawed, very flawed. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but how how thankful we are, Lord, that you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Um, Lord, how thankful we are that we can go to the table of communion, even as you told us, do this often in remembrance of you. So Lord, we take this time at the end of this service just to celebrate the truth of the cross, the truth that we're all sinners, 
we deserve death and hell and uh, that you came and died on the cross for our sins, that you rose from the grave and that that penalty of sin and the wrath that was meant for us was put upon your son, Jesus, as he hung on the cross. Lord, if there's any unbelievers listening or watching, may they just simply confess faith right now that they believe and that they would become saved because of that confession with the mouth and the belief in the heart that you died on the cross for their sins and that you forgive them. And as we accept that, Lord, we're, we're saved by grace through faith. That's what your word says. But as believers, we hold this cup and we hold this bread knowing, Lord, that you, you did that work. And so we're thankful. We're, we're, we're humbled, Lord, that you die for sinners like us and you love us and that we can have everlasting life through your son, Jesus. So we bless you, Lord.